BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. All right, welcome back to the Sports Media Watch podcast. This is John Lewis, joined as always by Drew Lerner as we get ready to discuss everything going on in sports media over the past week, including some big NBA and NHL ratings and uh, many more topics. Before we get into all of that, don't forget, if you have not already subscribed to the Sports Media Watch podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. So let's just jump right in and talk about the uh, big numbers for the NBA. Basically, as soon as the Kings won Friday night, which didn't have to happen, right? Sacramento lost a series, kind of inexplicable that the Kings would have won game six on the road while losing five and seven at home, but they did win. Once the Kings won that game Friday night, it was obvious that any game seven was going to do tremendously well between the Kings and Warriors, and it did. Uh, nearly 10 million viewers for game uh, seven on Sunday on ABC, 9.84 million. And that is the largest first round NBA playoff audience in 24 years since the Kings and Jazz. So Sacramento again on NBC back in the 99 uh, playoffs, that was 11.2 million. So still a little bit uh, below that mark, but that Kings Jazz game, you know, people will look at that and say, you know, Sacramento, Utah. Remember that was uh, the Kings when they were making their debut as a new team in the league. That was exciting. Jason Williams, Chris Weber. But also the Utah Jazz had just been to two straight NBA finals against Michael Jordan. So that has something to do with it too. Uh, but uh, ultimately, uh, most watched first round game in 24 years for the NBA, most watched first or second round game uh, since 2001, Iverson and Vince Carter in that game seven, uh, also called by Mike Green. So uh, really some tremendous numbers for the NBA and uh, you know numbers we have not seen since the NBC era. Out of home, of course, helps a little bit, but even that 5.0 household rating, so that doesn't include out of home viewing, even that is the highest for a first round game since 2002. And it's very rare for an NBA game outside of the finals to get to a 5.0 household rating. So, uh, Drew, what are your thoughts on the NBA's big weekend? Yeah, John, um, you know, you, I got to give you some credit here. You, you kind of called your shot a couple weeks ago about Sacramento and uh, Golden State. Um, Personally, I'm not sure I really saw it given Sacramento's draw on paper, but maybe it is part of that historical relevance that really has driven some of these huge ratings for 
for that series. Of course, it helps that it goes to a game seven. Of course, it helps that Steph Curry's in there. And of course, it helps that it's in that Sunday afternoon time slot, especially given the lead-in was a good game itself with uh, Miami and New York. Those are two big markets there. So it was kind of a confluence of great factors to get that number. And, um, you know, 24-year record, that's that's really impressive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, certainly uh, anything, anytime you're going back to the 90s in the NBA, as I discussed a few weeks ago in that article I did, uh, the viewership kind of fell off pretty hard just from 99 to 2000. Uh, but anything, anytime you're setting a record that goes back to those glory days for the NBA, the 1990s, that's a good thing if you're the league. Uh, you mentioned uh, Miami and New York also did well. Uh, uh, actually, the most watched early game on ABC in the playoffs, that's one o'clock. Uh, they only do two one o'clock games per postseason. So it's not like a huge sample size, but the most watched early game in that window in the playoffs ever on ABC. So, uh, you know, that's not too bad. Also, Friday night, the games did well. ESPN had two of its three most watched first round games opposite the NFL draft, Warriors, Kings, Grizzlies, Lakers. And we are taping Tuesday evening. Uh, we're taping before any of the games have started, but Warriors Lakers starts tonight on TNT. And I don't really know where it's going to start because, I mean, obviously, if you're the NBA, you're feeling really good. Uh, but, you know, uh, six million would be good, but it wouldn't be great because, you know, it's not historic or anything. Eight million for a game one would be amazing on, on cable. You know, I, I don't really know where to expect this to start. I know where it'll finish. If it gets to seven, it'll finish, you know, beyond what we've seen even for finals games lately. I don't know how it'll start. I think it should start well, but I suspect with such little time between game seven and game one, not enough time to really build up a big head of steam here. So uh, I, I think the game one month numbers might not be as, as big as people are expecting. But uh, this will be the most watched second round series in the NBA in a while. It'll do better than the conference finals did last year. Yeah, uh, I mean, the NBA got exactly what they wanted with pretty much all of their second round matchups this this year. Yeah. The only thing that you worry about is injury. So mm -hmm. you got to have, everyone's got to be healthy. Everybody. Even Anthony Davis, LeBron, who's already kind of hurt, has got to be healthy. Steph has to be healthy. It doesn't really matter if Clay or Draymond are, are, are healthy. I mean, the only two you need for ratings are LeBron and Steph. You need AD for the games to actually be good, right? So you don't, AD's not, AD doesn't move the needle. Clay, Draymond, and AD don't move the needle. But in order for the series to be any good, AD's got to be healthy. So as long as those three guys are healthy, you're fine. Yeah, you all you also need AD to actually show up and, and play in the oh, game. Yeah. You know, right. You know, he he's definitely got some sort of tendency to disappear during during some big moments. So well, um he's you know, every other game or so he kind of comes out very passive, much like the Boston Celtics. Uh, but uh, you know, the reality of the matter is. If he's playing well, the Lakers have a shot. Mm -hmm. If it's a competitive series, the only thing you worry about is injuries, a route, or, you know, things beyond your control. As long as you don't have those three elements, you're good, especially for a series like this. This is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. This time next year, it'll probably be, you know, Utah, Oklahoma City, right? <laughs> so, you know, enjoy it if you're the networks while you can, because you're not going to get one like this all the time. Yeah, let's uh let's quickly go through the the rest of the series here. Um, those are all already underway. We have Miami and New York, uh, Philadelphia, Boston, Denver, Phoenix. Uh, do any of those series to you have 
uh, big drawing power compared to, you know, the historical averages. Well, I think, you know, Philly-Boston was a really appealing series on paper. Then Embiid got hurt, kind of went under the radar a bit. But then game one was great. Harden did great. Sixers took that game and it averaged 4.7 million viewers. That doesn't sound like a lot compared to 9.8, but it's a lot for a first round game one or a second round game one and up 24% from Sixers heat in the same window last year. Uh, so, you know, that helped uh, boost Suns Nuggets, which had 4.5 million up from game one, which was 4.1 million. Uh, and that was up 15% from Maverick Suns a year ago. So those will be good performers too, basically across the board. Every one of these series is good from a ratings perspective across the board, except for maybe Nuggets Suns might not be the best, but you still have Kevin Durant in that. Uh, as long as these series are long and competitive, 2018 ratings were great in the second round, but all four series ended in four or five games, right? So as long as you have competitive games, competitive series, if you get something like 2015 where each series goes at least six, then you're, you know, the, the, it's raining dollar bills at that point. Yeah, and uh, that's definitely what happened for the most part in the first round. Um, yeah. We'll see. We'll see if you know the parity can can continue a little bit. These close games uh, continue throughout the second round. Um, unlike the NBA, the uh, the NHL, who you know also had some great first round series, maybe did not get the results they wanted um, in terms of the teams advancing to the second round. Uh, obviously, we have the New Jersey Devils going through last night in game seven against the Rangers. We have the Bruins losing to the Florida Panthers. These are, you know, to be blunt, ratings disasters yeah. for, for the NHL. Uh, what, what do you expect for round two? Do you, do you expect there to be a pretty um, sizable decline there? Well, I'm not really sure. I mean, I know for sure you want to have the Rangers or Bruins in there. The lack of both is difficult. I think at this point, the best case for the NHL, as far as a finals matchup, looking down the road, might actually be Edmonton-Toronto because you've lost the markets, right? You no longer have any really appealing U.S. market in there. I mean, Seattle is a good story. New Jersey is technically the New York market, although you can look at any Devils or Nets finals and see that it's not really the New York market. But, uh, you know, technically number one market. Seattle's a, uh, a compelling story. You know, uh, that's about it, though, really. You got those Sunbelt teams in Florida and Carolina, and you have Dallas, which, you know, I mean, certainly the bubble had a lot to do with it, but when they were in the final against Tampa Bay, that was terrible. Uh, I think you might actually be looking at Edmonton versus Toronto being your best bet. And the reason for that is, obviously, that's a completely fully Canadian series. It's like a disaster for American television from a market standpoint, but you have the stars. The biggest stars in the NHL are in Edmonton. And I'm pretty sure Austin Matthews is a big star too in Toronto. So if you have a star-studded matchup of teams that matter in big traditional cities, the Panthers, I don't know that the Panthers are going to really matter in Miami at all. Carolina matters in Raleigh. They're, they, you know, that team has had enough success. But you're talking about Toronto and Edmonton where you know, those cities are going to be living and dying with every game. The atmospheres are going to be great. The stars are going to be out. And even though you don't have a home market in either case, I think the Maple Leafs and Oilers are traditional enough powers that if you're TNT, you're not going to get what you wanted. But maybe if you get a seven game Edmonton Toronto series, I mean, I think that could be 
okay. And the best part is you have a built-in excuse. If it isn't, it's all it's all Canada, right? So I think that might be what you root for now if you're the NHL, because you know, I don't see Dallas versus Carolina being a better option than that. Yeah. And we should not get us get ahead of ourselves here and uh, and give the NHL credit. They the first round was was very successful by by their standards. They had you know a trio of game sevens that were pretty compelling um, with the Bruins and the Panthers leading the way at just over three million Sunday evening, and then immediately following that you had the Kraken and Avalanche just over two million, and then Saturday evening you had. Um, Game six, actually, of the New Jersey Devils and uh, the Rangers game. And that got nearly 2 million, just under 2 million there. So those are all very good numbers for the NHL. Yeah. I mean, the NHL dominated Sunday night in primetime TV, right? Now, that's because there were no NBA games on Sunday night. But, I mean, that's amazing for the National Hockey League. The NHL, they were the Stanley Cup final game that lost to a rerun of Mama's family back in 2007, right? And the NHL is now at a point where... You know, every one of those broadcast networks would have been better off carrying even the late game, even even the Kraken game. All of those broadcast networks would have been better off carrying that than their regular programming. I mean, you look at Fox, four new episodes, Simpsons, The Great North, Bob's Burgers and Family Guy. And the most watched of those was Family Guy with 939,000 viewers. Right. None of those even got to a 0. 0.40 in any of the key demos. And in 18 to 34, you're talking 0. 0.12, 0. 0.10, 0. 0.15. You know, if you're Fox, any sport would outdo that. Fox could create a sport. Put some PBA bowling in there on Sunday night, and you'll get better numbers than that. So, I mean, at this point, uh, you know, the NHL is growing and benefiting as well from the collapse of of, of, of the rest of TV. And uh, other than the NBA, I don't think there's anything you would want to have on a nightly basis this time of year than the National Hockey League. Well said. Uh, we haven't even touched on what was the biggest television event of the weekend, and that is the NFL draft. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. The NFL draft beat everything. Uh, Friday night, it had more viewers uh, across three networks. I mean, let's be real, but still more viewers than either of those NBA games. The opening round Thursday had more viewers than the game seven. By the way, I wanted to point out, I noted this on social media as well. Iowa LSU and the Women's National Championship had more viewers than Kings Warriors game seven. And that's not me doing what people like to do, which is take cheap shots at the NBA. That's me saying I can't believe how well that Iowa-LSU game did, that it outdrew the most watched first or second round NBA playoff game in uh, how many years? I guess 22 years since 2001. I mean, that's amazing. And that was the exact same 3.30 time slot on ABC. Same time slot, same network, though the women's game did have an ESPN2 simulcast accounting for some of that viewership. But back to the NFL. Or opening round out drew that game seven, right? Opening round out drew most things. Opening round was finals level, uh, World Series level. And yet it is kind of boring to an extent because, you know, let's be real. Of course, the draft is going to do that well. This is the NFL. And uh, when you put the NFL on three different properties at the same time, that's also, you know, you're going to get that kind of a number. Um, I, I, I mean, obviously the draft is a big draw. It's impressive that there's that many people who will sit down and watch what is ultimately a reading of names, but the NFL also, it's not a reading of names. It's a big spectacle with musical performances and this big outdoor stadium. Like, I mean, I don't know, you know, it did well. I'm not trying to take away from the NFL on that, but uh, that was 
Yeah, it's kind of boring, honestly. It was very difficult for me to find a way to find anything interesting to write about with this draft. Uh, and uh, even three years ago during COVID, it was difficult for me to find, and that was the only sporting event for months. It was difficult for me to find the energy to write about the draft viewership. I mean, it is what it is. You know my favorite number to come out of this year's draft, or I guess the PR spin cycle associated with this year's draft was the NFL announcing that they had a total unduplicated audience mm-hmm. of 54.4 million viewers. Yeah. Is that something that you've seen before? Total unduplicated audience? Um, You know, that unduplicated is interesting. I'm sure it, that these numbers are always unduplicated. It's just not usually stated. Um, I didn't even pay attention to that. I, anytime I see those kinds of numbers, my eyes glaze over. Uh, it's basically the at least six minutes stat, right? You sat down and watched at least six minutes. I don't think that's meaningful. I think it's meaningful to see how many people watched in the average minute over the course of the full telecast. I mean, anyone can sit down and watch six minutes of anything. I've watched six minutes of Alienator before on, you know, uh, Comet TV when it's airing. Watching six minutes of something to me is not notable. Um I mean, if you wanted to use that comparison for a two-week event where average minute audience doesn't really capture, like for an Olympics, when NBC says 200 million people watch during the Olympics, that does mean something to me because the length of the Olympics kind of necessitates that to give you an understanding of how many people were tuning in. But for you know a single-day event or even a two- or three-day event, eh, I mean, whatever. I, I'm, I, I don't find that interesting. Uh, the the Olympics thing was ex- actually exactly where I was going to go with this. Um, and I think it, you know, the number on the surface, it, it does mean nothing, right? It, you can't compare it to anything really. Um, but it is kind of staggering that what, one in six-ish, one in seven Americans are at least at, on some level tuning into the draft for a few minutes. I mean, like you said, it is a glorified reading of names. Um, it It kind of just exemplifies why you know the nfl is so dominant even even something as mundane as as reading names and picking players for your team is is getting one in six one in seven americans to tune in for at least a few minutes um that that to me is is pretty staggering yeah but when you factor in the abc element i'm sure there were people who were just tuning in waiting for the local news to start or tuning in going hey you know how come what does abc hear nowadays uh Abbott Elementary, the Connors, where, where, where are my shows, right? So, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to take anything away. It did very well. I just, you know, that's one of those where I kind it, of shrug it, a bit. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a PR number. Um, an- another quick NFL story that um, broke this morning is that Nielsen is revising the number for Fox's Super Bowl in February up to 115.1 million. Do you have any thoughts on going back two, three months after an event and and revising a number like this? Does it matter? Um, I think it says a lot about where Nielsen is. How seriously can you take any of these numbers? Not every event is a Super Bowl. They're not going to catch every error. And I mean, obviously, does it really matter if we catch the error or not? Because when it comes down to it, Nielsen really should just be the gist, right? Instead of saying 9.84 million viewers watch Game 7, we should say in the neighborhood of 10 million, right? They, Nielsen doesn't put things out like uh, margin of error or anything like that to give a false sense of you know exactitude, right? 
Everything is very precise, even though these are estimates. How often do you see estimates reported in such a precise way as with Nielsen? Uh, and so ultimately, is it meaningful? Did it change the gist of how the game did? No, not really. Obviously, it's a record, but the records really only matter in as much as we look at these as precise figures. So if we're looking at them as just estimates in the neighborhood of, there's really no such thing as a record, right? Because it's you, you can never really know for sure. So to me, uh, it's not meaningful if you think about what the numbers really should be. If you think about obviously how we use the numbers generally, it is very meaningful because Nielsen needs to be giving people exact numbers because that's the way we report on all these things. That's how the networks, you know, uh, promote their audiences with, in, in terms of PR. So I, I think Nielsen's inability to get it right the first time is understandable, but not acceptable given what they have created, which is an expectation of precise perfection every time. Nielsen decrees, here's the audience. And it, it people believe, I think a lot of people believe that Nielsen has little trackers in, in TVs, you know, uh, so as long as Nielsen's going to, you know, have the perception of this exact, definite, this is exactly how many people were watching, then they need to do a better job of getting those numbers out there correctly the first time. Yeah, you're right that um, it, it matters for the PR machine, but... To me, I, I almost think it would be more valuable to the, you know, the ad buyers and the TV executives if they actually provided, you know, a certainty range, maybe yeah. like, you know, if we're 95% certain that the viewership for this game fell between X and Y number, yeah. I think that would be a more accurate indication for uh, at least uh, more ac accurate information for the decision makers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're exactly right. It would probably be more useful to not, you know, have numbers that you have to revise months later. I mean, let's be real. I, I don't think Fox was done any favors here uh, at all. But um, well, they got a second PR cycle out of it. That's yeah, <laughs> that's what they got. Yeah, but the Super Bowl PR cycle in the month of May isn't very valuable. Oh, yeah, that's that's true. All right. Um, couple quick hitters, John. Next week, we have the first leg of the Triple Crown. Yep. The Kentucky Derby will be held on NBC. Over the years, Kentucky Derby viewership, um, there's a good article in The Athletic by Bill Shea, pretty steady. Uh, it's usually yep. between that 14 and 16 million viewer range, with the obvious exception of 2020, um, which was much lower due to the pandemic. Yeah. Do you have any reason to think that uh, this year will be different? No, I mean, I'm not expecting any differences with the Derby. I think it'll be the same as always. Uh, you know, it's hard to tell. Will it be up? Will it be down? I mean, what are the conditions that lure people to watch the Derby more than in other years? I mean, I don't even know who any of the horses are. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't know. Um, but, you know, it's a consistent event. It's an event that does well in large measure as a kind of just a cultural tradition. I've seen nothing yet that indicates that it's going to be, you know, falling off. I've seen nothing yet that indicates that there's less interest in horse racing, even with all the stuff that went on with Santa Anita and the horses dying. Um, and, and Bob Baffert, the biggest celebrity in the sport, kind of being ostracized a bit. You know, uh, I, I think it'll do well again. I mean, why not? You know, it's uh, it's going to be sandwiched between those NBA games. ABC has Knicks Heat at 3.30. Everyone is going to be surprised, you know. Uh, a certain certain people who write about uh, sports uh, media occasionally are going to be going uh, 
Kentucky Derby beats Warriors, the Lakers, and it'll be a big deal. And people will say, man, the NBA really stinks now. And I haven't watched since 1998. Uh, the Derby is, of course, going to beat Warriors, Lakers game three. Of course it is. The Derby gets huge numbers every single solitary year. And most years beats every NBA game outside of the finals. And in recent years, with the NBA having taken a bit of a hit, beats every game of the finals. Last year, with Steph Curry in the finals against Boston, the Derby beat every single solitary game of the NBA playoffs. So that's not going to be a surprise, but you'll still, you'll still see people uh, trumpeting it nonetheless. Yeah, definitely. And with my limited horse racing knowledge, it does seem that there is one favorite horse, and, and then that is uh, Forte. I believe I'm saying that correctly, um, who some speculate might have triple crown potential. For me, the viewership story with uh, the triple crown is always with uh, the Preakness and, and the Belmont Stakes, right? Um, it, it's well, so highly dependent on, is there a horse that can actually threaten for the triple crown, right? Well, that's that's kind of over for now in terms of that storyline carrying through to the Belmont because Fox has the rights. Mm -hmm. So before... Uh, for a little brief period, NBC had the Derby and Preakness and ABC had the Belmont. And in those years, it just never worked. You have to have one network telling this story from start to finish. You can't just have one network for the first two and then switch to another one for the final one. And even when they did have a triple crown threat during that little brief five-year ABC period with Big Brown, it didn't do as well as Smarty Jones had four years earlier or as California Chrome and American Pharaoh would do later on. So I think you're not going to see those big, I mean, you weren't going to see those big Belmont numbers again anyway, because we saw with Justify winning the Triple Crown right after American Pharaoh, American Pharaoh ended that storyline by winning and the interest level will, will never get back. But uh, even to get back to justify levels, if there's a triple crown threat this year, I doubt it. Because again, you have NBC telling the first two thirds of the story and then saying, see you later. And then Fox, which no one associates with horse racing, even though they've aired a few races and gotten some decent numbers for them over the years, you know, Fox will come in out of nowhere for the Belmont. I mean, I, I don't um, think that's going to work. Fox does have actually somewhat of a large-ish uh, horse racing presence on FS2. They they do right. air America's Day at the races pretty often, um, right. um, but they, they do have some sort of presence with the brand. But the problem um, there is FS2, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, let's move on to, to a couple quick final topics here. Um, you want to overview the this weekend in spring football for us? Oh, yeah. Wow, I forgot about that. Guess I should write about that this evening, huh? Uh, look, it's gotten pretty boring on the spring football side because no one can get to a million viewers. And since USFL started, no spring football game has gotten to a million viewers even once. Uh, and uh, the USFL took top honors this past weekend for 776000 for a, a primetime Fox game. The ESPN XFL playoffs did not do very well. From what I can tell, the Saturday night game was 675 and the Sunday game was shockingly low at 478. Warriors-Kings maybe had something to do with that, but, I mean, I'm shocked that game didn't do better. Uh, so, you know, the, the the competition has had the exact effect that everybody thought it would. Um, you know, and, uh, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm losing interest. I didn't write about the USFL and XFL last weekend. I meant to. Never got around to it. And uh, I got to find a way to, to write about it tonight. But uh, once you get under a million viewers – you're, you're getting to a point where it's like, what am I writing about here? Why am I not? I, if I'm if this is the level, why am I not writing a dedicated article about the PBA tour 
and, and you know, and NHRA at that point. You're probably right. And maybe one day we will be able to drop it from the podcast rundown. One other quick one from me that was notable, just under a million for Formula One in Azerbaijan um, at 7 a.m. Eastern yeah. time. What a number uh, for yeah. F1. Yeah, I woke up Sunday morning and the race was already over. I was surprised. Uh, that's a great number given the time slot. Don't know how it compares to last year. But as always, uh, the great Andy Hall did send me an email about it earlier today. So I'll just go dig that up really fast and see what he said. Uh, Baku was up 15% from last year. So that's not too bad. Peaking at 1.06 million from 8.15 to 8.30, which is incredible. Whoever watches ESPN 8.15 on a Sunday morning in the million range. I mean, that's great. And a second largest audience on a record behind 2021 at 9.70. And uh, really incredibly, the sprint race uh, the previous day had 883,000. So uh, F1 continues to do well. And NASCAR, by the way, on a Monday, uh, a million for Dover which is actually per Adam Stern. I haven't looked at this myself, so I'll cite Adam Stern. He says it's up from the same rain-delayed Monday race at Dover last year. The question, of course, is if Dover can't get this race run on a Sunday any year, why does Dover get to have a race this time of year or at all? I'm not sure NASCAR fans, do they like Dover? Because Dover always sounds to me like it's got to be one of the most boring races on the calendar. Uh, I can say the only time I've been in delaware or in in dover is um for a music festival so <laughs> and well, you know, it, it's the, not very notable i might be projecting my perception of dover as a city under the race but whenever i write about dover and the ratings are never good for dover uh whenever i write about dover i always think to myself it's got to be one of the most boring races on on the entire schedule but maybe i'm wrong maybe it's like talladega and everybody loves it but <laughs> the ratings certainly don't indicate that all right, John, is there anything else you want to cover before we uh, close it out? Yeah, interesting report in The Athletic today. The NBA wants more games on broadcast TV in the next deal. Uh, so that's by Mike Voronoff. So that's going to be very interesting. Uh, you know, the NBA does itself no favors. Uh, Warriors-Lakers is the biggest thing the league has had in a long time. There's one game on ABC. It's on a Saturday night, you know, uh, not Sunday afternoon at 3.30. In the NBC days, you would have had well, you would have had game one on the weekend, which would have happened had the Kings not won game six. Game one would have been Sunday at 3.30. You'd have game one, game four, Sunday, 5.30 p.m. If you're the NBA, that's probably a good thing in this era. And, of course, the Phoenix Suns going back to broadcast TV. Everyone left broadcast TV, and it made a little bit of sense at the time because cable was in all those homes, 100 million homes. Doesn't make any sense now. And the NBA is in the perfect position to undo a little bit of that damage and go back to where people can actually tune into these games in large numbers. Because you look at that 10 million viewers for ABC Sunday. TNT is going to have a tough time getting that. ESPN is going to have a tough time getting that. Same time slot. You're going to have a tough time getting to that kind of number. Broadcast TV still matters, and it matters now more uh, than it has in a long time. So um, that for sure, I uh, wanted to, to mention that. And uh, NBA Finals game starting earlier this season, 8.30 p.m. Bit of a risky move, could backfire. You're going to be talking about, uh, at you know, at best, if it's Denver, 6.30 p.m. local. If it's Golden State, Phoenix, or L.A., 5.30 p.m. local time. I don't know. I mean, beyond the beyond the uh, attendance impact, the ratings impact might, might be a factor there. Uh, one of the things that hurt the league in the bubble was there were no 10 o'clock games. The 10 o'clock games 
you're, you know, the West Coast is big in the NBA. Every game in the bubble started at six o'clock or earlier West Coast time. And uh, I think that definitely hurt, uh, you know, so uh, the league probably should have just gone to nine o'clock flat, not necessarily 830, because a nine o'clock start where the game starts at nine o'clock is reasonably early. You're not irritating or antagonizing anybody, and you're still catering to the West Coast instead of 9.07. Even just that seven minutes, right? Start at 9 o'clock flat, 8.30. Maybe I'm a little bit influenced by how badly the 2003 finals did, but uh, I think it's a little bit of a risk, and I might, I wouldn't be surprised if they went back on it. Yeah, I, I, think, I think you're right, um, you know, and and I think we're going to see this with baseball too, as we mentioned a, a couple podcasts ago. That where, as as much as us East Coasters really bemoan having to stay up past eleven thirty or so to to watch the the end of these games, at the end of the day, we're we're going to continue to tune in. And uh, losing that viewership on the front end in, on the West Coast is is very impactful. Yeah, it is. It's a lot more impactful because it's easier to stay up late for a game that is ending than it is to, you know, get back from work in time for the start of a game. And people are less motivated to get to a game from the beginning than they are to stay with it through the end. So, uh, you know, to me, I think, you know, I, I just think 830 is a little too early for a weeknight finals game. Nine o'clock flat, not 915 or anything, but nine o'clock flat is, in my view, the way to go. Well, those numbers will be very interesting to look at when they do come. Uh, John, why don't you close us out? Yeah, uh, uh, things are getting really interesting in the NBA. They've got their dream matchups. Obviously, you could still end up with Denver-Miami in the finals. But for now, this is as good as it gets for the NBA. It's almost as if uh, David Stern was still the commissioner uh, with these uh, incredible matchups. Not that I'm implying anything about uh, the previous commissioner. I don't believe the league uh, you know, was manipulating things, but certainly they would get, they'd get some nice matchups on an annual basis back in the nineties and early two thousands. And uh, this Lakers warriors is as nice a matchup as the league has had in a long time. So as long as everybody stays healthy, as long as the games are good, this will probably be a better rating story, not necessarily better ratings, but a better rating story than the finals will end up being. Well, that wraps up our show this week. We'll be back next week with more discussion of sports media topics. Enjoy the next week of the NBA, Warriors-Lakers. Enjoy the NHL. It does not have those great matchups for TV, but nonetheless, uh, interesting stuff potentially there. And uh, we'll be back to talk about Kentucky Derby ratings next week as well. So great week ahead of sports. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts. We'll see you back here next week. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands. And are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.